I want you to turn to Jonah. We last week we started a um, we started this series in the book of Jonah. Right now the plan is five messages. Who knows if it'll be six? But right now the plan is five. But last week we looked over just the first really two and a half verses. We tried to set the table of um, all, some of the main players and, and the geography and all of that, all the things that were going on. Uh, basically what we saw was that uh, God had called Jonah to get up, go, and cry against Nineveh. They were a great city. They were a wicked city. And God had caused him to get up, called him to get up, go, and cry against it. Uh, but Jonah, he just decides that uh, he not only wants to ignore that, he wants to get up and go in the opposite direction. And so right now, we're going to read right after that. We're going to start reading in verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1 through the end of the chapter. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, where, or the, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men came extremely, became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was become in, becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. And so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of this fish for three days and three nights. Father, I pray that as we look at this text this morning, that we would hear a word from you. Sometimes we become so familiar with stories like this, Father, that we tend to even tune you out as we read through them. 
I pray, Father, for each one of us as we work through this text this morning that you would speak to us where we are, that you would encourage us or challenge us or even convict us, Father, of um, where we are in this in life as we walk with you in the places you planted us and the work we're doing in the neighborhoods we find ourselves. Help us, Father, to be sensitive to your spirit this morning. Be led by you and what you would have us to do with what this text is challenging us in. Thank you, Father, that you have given. I just thank you for the spirit, Father. And I pray the Holy Spirit does move freely through this room and through me as I speak. Help us to hear your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first thing I want us to see, and and it's very, very obvious, is the cause of this storm is Jonah. Jonah is, the. he actually says it there in one place. I know it is on, on account of me that this storm is raging, but you know, Jonah, he, he, he gets a command from God. He disregards that command from God. And he not only, I mean, I know me when I, I can think back to times when I disobeyed God. I just sat there and disobeyed God. I still went to work. I still sat at the table and ate my meal. I still did all sorts of things. I mean, we went around my, I can look back at times when I was disobeying God and see that I just went through my daily routines of the normal living life. I did not pack up and run away from, I did not flee from God like like Jonah did. That That doesn't mean that my disobedience is any less than his. I'm just saying for him, for him, it was such an experience he decided he had to get as far away from where he thought God was, away from his presence, away from this call. He, I guess he assumed that if he went as far as Tarshish, then God would find someone else to send to Nineveh. I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. All we see here is that Jonah, he packed up and he went down to Joppa and he bought himself a ticket. He boarded the boat and he went down inside the boat and was ready to take this trip across the sea to Tarshish. Jonah was the cause of God needing to get his attention. Jonah was the reason this storm came up. This storm was for Jonah to get his attention. This storm wasn't against these sailors necessarily. This storm wasn't against this cargo going to Tarshish, this storm, primary, the sole reason for this storm was to get Jonah's attention. And Jonah, even here in this storm, where do we find him? We find him soundly asleep in this boat. He He is so, whether it's fear or just a total disregard of God or whatever it is, it seems like he is so much more afraid of going to Nineveh than dying on a ship. This ship being tossed around, I want you to think about this. These are not just, I don't know about you, I've I've been out on boats a few times. Uh, Most of the time I've been on boats, it's been kind of calm. I went on a cruise ship once where we we, we rode through a storm, and man, that boat was doing this, just rocking around, and I didn't get sick, but man, it seemed like every other person on that boat did. 
And so this thing was, and people were hanging on to rails as they're walking around. They, they were sitting on their tuchuses and sliding down this chair so that they wouldn't fall. They, they were staying in their rooms and laying in their beds. I mean, this, for this like 16-hour period that this storm raged, you know, they were shocked with me and my buddy. We were still in the buffet line chowing down. And our friends that were with us were kind of like going, man, I'm like, and they were running off and just, it was, it was a bad scene. Uh, me, Shannon, and the boys went out fishing one day, and it happened to be one of those where they had a small craft advisory. We didn't know it was until we started out with the guy on the boat, and in the calm of the harbor, it was fine, but as we went out, he's, oh, by the way, we can't go out as far as we want. There's a small craft advisory, and we had to learn how to stand in this boat with our feet a certain way and our legs against the edge of the boat as if you're almost leaning over the boat, which sounds contrary to what you're supposed to be doing because I felt like I was going to topple over every time, but I remember sitting there trying trying to fish and, 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 and you're doing this. And, and I know if I'm having this much trouble, I know, you know, Shannon and the boys are probably having a little more difficult time than I was. At least I hope they would, being the man in the family. I kind of hope they had more problems than I did. But I was having serious problems. Well, balance, and especially when I hooked that, for, and I was trying to reel a fish in, and, 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 and I'm sliding all over the place. That was easy compared to what these guys were going to. I was not afraid going through the, the cruise ship or this thing. I, there was no fear in me whatsoever. These are seasoned sailors. They've traveled these seas all and it says they were afraid. Jonah was sound asleep. His fear of going to Nineveh was greater than this storm. Think about that. It says that this ship, these sailors, they were, they were afraid the ship was going to break up. Jonah is sound asleep. Listen, I don't care how far in the belly of this ship you get, you're going to feel this thing rock. You're going to feel the waves crashing. You're going to, you're going to, this storm was for, and it wasn't getting his attention yet. Jonah was the cause of this storm. He was the reason it was there. He, he tells the guys, when, when they start questioning him, he says, man, they cast lots. They find out <clears throat> the lots fell on him. They're going, hey, man, who are you? What are you all about? They ask him a whole list of questions. And we actually don't see him answer all the questions because we know that he didn't say anything about running from the presence of the Lord. But there in, there in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, there in verse, is it 12? In one of the verses here, it says that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. We don't know exactly all that Jonah had told them, but when he said this, he, when he identified himself, he said, I am a Hebrew. I am a Hebrew and I fear Lord, the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, these guys are crying out to their gods. These guys are begging their gods to calm the seas, and it's not happening. As a matter of fact, in verse 11, it says that they get, the seas are getting stormier. In verse 13, it says they're even getting stormier. This, this is increasing. The intensity of this storm is increasing to get Jonah's attention. It's not quite there yet, but Jonah's realizing these guys are in a full-blown panic. These guys are scared out of their wits. And Jonah just tells them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven, creator of the sea, which is where they were, and the dry land, which right now, this is where they wanted to be. 
He is basically saying, I don't know what your gods are about. I mean, this is coming across to these sailors because we see later on, they start praying to his God. The creator of the seas and the dry land, the God of heaven, he is telling them this. And I would assume when he said, I am a Hebrew, it meant more than I was, I live in Israel. Because we see where Paul actually says in Philippians 3, he says, you know, he's going through, he's talking about himself, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Being a Hebrew is more, more than just geography. It's not, you know, who are you, where are you from? Well, I live in Israel, that's fine. But he's a Hebrew. It's, it's one of those things where a lot of people in that day, they would say, I'm a Hebrew to separate themselves from the Gentiles. But it's also another way of, when when people would use that term in that day and time, it was kind of to elevate themselves. I am a Hebrew. It meant more than geography. It meant more, it it, it was about their religion. It was about that when he said, you know, when when, uh, Paul was saying, I, I am of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, it was even more than what tribe are you from? Paul was kind of elevating all this stuff, and he, you know, circumcised Israel, Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. And so this, more than likely, this communicated that this guy was more than just your regular Joe running from the authorities or something like that, trying to get away. But there was, (coughs) excuse me, I'm sorry. Here we see that they know other information that we don't have here, like he was running from the presence of the Lord. So it's highly likely that he even told them why he was running from the presence of the Lord because God had called him to go to Nineveh. We don't know that for sure. All we know is this. In the midst of this storm, he is the problem. He is the cause. He is the reason why this storm is brewing. And, and the thing that we see happens here is the second point is that because of the, his disobedience, his disobedience causes trouble for everybody else. It not only causes problems for him, it causes problems for everybody else. The consequences of disobedience spreads beyond the one who is being disobedient. Here, many times, our disobedience hurts others. We we talked earlier about how these are experienced sailors, but they were afraid. Listen, they were throwing stuff off the ship. This was their livelihood. This is what they travel around for. Because of this storm, because of his disobedience, because of his running away from God, they had to toss their reason for going to this place overboard. They lost all of the profits and probably end up having to pay for all of that stuff that they threw overboard to begin with. So not only profits, but they were taking a loss coming out of their pockets for the stuff they were throwing overboard. They were having all sorts of problems with that. But even at the same time, it's not even about how much do these, my disobedience has consequences to others. But at the same time, our disobedience causes others to just make some really hard decisions. It, 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 is, it is one of those things where not only when I disobey God, how it affects whether it's my family those that I am close to, I work with, or that I'm supposed to be there to reach. Whatever, my disobedience can cause problems and hurt for all these. But these guys had to make a tough decision. Look at verse 11. 
He said, so after, after, he's, <clears throat> after he, this says, for the men, in verse 10, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, so they said to him, what should we do to you to see the sea become calm for us? For the sea was becoming, look, increasingly stormy. Not just stormy enough to break up the ship. This thing was getting increasingly bad. And he says, what should we do with you? And again, Jonah says something that we are very familiar with. Just just pick me up and throw me overboard. Okay, I I think that would appease God. Just pick me up and throw me overboard. Listen, here we see Jonah. He actually probably, it looks as if, number one, he has more concern for these men on this ship than he does for the people God has called him to go reach, to cry against. He shows more concern for them than he does for the people. Because, listen, the idea here, just throw me overboard. Is he going to survive? Is, forget the fi- big fish, okay? Just forget the fish shows up. I don't know how many of you have been out in the middle of, you know, far enough away from the ocean. I mean, far enough away out in the ocean, far enough away from the coast where you can't see the coast and you just kind of jump off the boat out into the ocean somewhere. I got out into a boat one day with a, uh, three guys I worked with one summer. We went down to Pensacola, Florida. We got into a boat. We went out fishing and weren't having a lot of luck. It was a scorching hot day. And I just said, you know what, man, I, I want to jump in the water and cool off. So we just, we just kind of jumped in the water. And this boat captain revved his engine up and pulled away from us a little bit. And in his mind, he's thinking, man, you guys, you don't need to jump out. You don't need to do this. But I remember waiting out there and looking, and you don't see anything around you. Listen, there's no way. If he'd have left us there, we would have survived. I, 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 at the time, I was a lot younger. I was a stronger. I had a lot of endurance. But there is no way. If I can't see which, I can't even see which way I'm supposed to go. There's no way I would have made it to land. Jonah, he's being thrown overboard. And, and his assumption here, more than likely, is, you know, it is better for me to die than to go to Nineveh. It is better for me than just to give myself up to save these guys. The sea will be calm. They can go on to where they're going to. And I'll just sit out here in the middle of the ocean and I will die. I will be done with it. I won't have to go to Nineveh because I will be dead. It doesn't say that here, but can, can, can we at least draw to some sort of conclusion to that? That that is Jonah in his thinking. He is, he is so dead set of going back to Nineveh that he is willing to just die out in the middle of the ocean. He would rather die than go back to Nineveh. Listen, these tough decisions that these guys have to make, think about it. These guys had to make a decision here. He gives them an option, and they're like going, man, I don't know. Look at what it says after he says this. He says, pick me up, throw me, in verse 12, pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, and I know on account of me this storm is a great storm. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, and here it is for the third time, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. These guys did not want to throw Jonah into the ocean. They were trying to get back to land. And the storm was working against them. They did not want to follow through. This tough decision that they had, what are we going to do with you? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. Man, let's try to get back to land. And it wasn't working. Listen, I think sometimes we all have tough decisions to make. 
And it's really more difficult as we make these tough decisions when there's disobedience involved. I mean, I can remember when, my, when I was a little kid and I, was, I would disobey my father and my, father, my mother and father, they would have to discipline me. I forced, they, didn't, they didn't do it because, all right, we get to spank David again. All right, man, we're going to wear him out. You know, they didn't enjoy those. I thought they enjoyed it. When we played the merry-go-round game, y'all know what that is? Do y'all know what the merry-go-round game is? They hold you by the wrist and start spanking. You can run as far as you want. You're just going to run in circles. That's the merry-go-round. That's just, that's just what they did, and I thought they enjoyed it. They used to tell me, son, you got to understand, we don't enjoy this, but we have to do this. And I remember in my head, and not out loud because I was afraid I'd go another round, laughing at them. Yeah, right. But I understood a lot more when I became a parent. And when my sons would disobey their mother or me or do something, you know, disobedient out there, and we had to discipline them, Man, that was some of the hardest decisions I had to make because I did not want to do that all the time. I did not want to go there. Because of their disobedience, mom and dad had to make a tough decision. Church discipline works in the same way. Because of a disobedience of a member of a church, they put the church in a place where they have to make a tough decision. And I'll tell you this, I don't know if any of you have gone through a church discipline process within a church. I have twice in two separate churches in New England, and not once was it enjoyable. Not once did we go, all right, we get to go through Matthew 18. Yeah, we didn't do that at all. There was nothing enjoyable about it whatsoever. The sitting down with the one-on-one to point out someone's sin or rebellion or whatever, and then the bringing another person when they refuse to listen to that, bringing someone else along to have that conversation, to bring them before. We even added a fourth one in one church. We added a fourth one where not only was it one or two, but we brought them before the elders and had conversations encouraging them. We even brought them before the church, like it says, to try to get them to do what it is that God wants to do in their life. And eventually the church had to vote. It is unfair for a church to have to vote on something like that. It is heartbreaking. It can kind of tear the relational threads within the church at times. But it is absolutely necessary to do those types of things to protect God's church also. As, as uncomfortable and as, as, as those are the most uncomfortable times in my life serving in a church is when we had to go through something like that. It is never, never, never fun. So sometimes, or not many, here we see that Jonah's decision not only was causing problems in the storm, but it was causing consequences in his own life, in the life of the others. It was hurting them, the consequences were, where they had to make a tough decision. And the disobedience can also lead us to pursue actions that aren't even from God. When these guys realized that Jonah's own, his only option was throw me overboard, they started even working against the plan of God. God was saying, I need Jonah to get back over here and go to Nineveh. And these guys were saying, man, we, maybe we want to get back to Nineveh. We're just trying to get safe. And God had bigger plans because he knew if they just made it back to dry land, Jonah more than likely would have just tried to find another way to Tarshish. Maybe he would have gone the land route by try to get over there by land or something. We don't know what it was, but Jonah was still dead set. We'll, we'll see later on. Jonah was still dead set on not doing things God's way, even in the midst of this storm. 
It causes us to do things that are even not just the initial disobedience, but decision after decision after decision becomes one where we're more concerned about what we want out of this whole thing and not what God wants us to do. Listen, I, I, I talked to you last week um, about that thing in my life when I was sitting on the beach in Spain looking off at Morocco and when, when we were there living and serving in Morocco, I told you that story and uh, it didn't start there. It, di- it didn't start there. This started a little while earlier than that. When Shannon and I first experienced it, and, and actually Caleb wasn't even born yet, when Shannon and I first started experiencing God's call to go overseas, man, we, listen, we, we were excited about that. We were looking forward to that. We kept you know, God, where do you want us to go? When do you want us to go? We just kept waiting for this to happen and, and all that. But then when God finally kind of started to say, okay, I'm going to send you here. We're going to go do this. And I had to start learning more. I was a, I'm not going to lie. I was a little concerned about going to an Islamic country. And, it's, and, and, and I, I believe maybe there, not trusting God enough, might have sowed the seeds of some of the things that happened right after that. But we went to Senegal to learn French first. And while we were there, we were, we were there for like a month when, and I was, and, and we were learning French and, and man, language is just hard for me. And, and being in a place where you have to kind of, you know, your whole life, your day-to-day stuff that you usually do, your whole life changes. I still wanted a piece of America there with me. I still wanted to be able to go down and not see flies on my bread or my meat hanging on the hook. I wanted to not see people squatting on the sides of the roads using the bathroom. I wanted to, you know, I, I can go through a whole list of things. But one of the things one night, I was, this, this frustration was growing. The learning of the language was hard. I just wasn't getting my head around it. And woke up in the middle of the night. We heard Caleb crying. We, Shan and I woke up in the middle of the night and turned on the lights in the living room. And it looked as if the walls were moving. There were these, the walls were covered in these little transparent insects. Don't know what they were. I thought they were termites or ants or whatever. After all this happened, we never saw those things again. But this is, I don't, I'm willing to bet this is what God did to get my attention because we had all these things there. The first thing that came to mind, these things are all over Caleb. We went running back there and there was nothing there. Caleb was just, you know, uncomfortable or wanted to be fed or something like that. I don't know what it was. I, I don't remember because I was thinking about those little creepy, creepy things all over the walls. And then as I was Shannon said, hey, can you go in the refrigerator and get something? We're going, to, we're going to feed him. Can you go in there and get this? And as I opened up the refrigerator, a lizard crawls out of the refrigerator. I jumped back and go, man, come on, man. That does not happen in America. And I was growing increasingly frustrated. And I remember that night looking at Shannon and said, that's it. We're going home. I'm done. We're not going to stay here any longer. Tomorrow, I'm going to get in touch with some people. We're going to figure out how do we need to get back to America. And then we went back to bed eventually. We went to sleep. And there was a, I went down the road again to get that bread that the flies are always on that you have to put over the fire to kill whatever eggs or anything they're laying in the bread. You have to put it over the fire to kill it. That was our breakfast every morning was this bread and jelly and all that. And so, you know, I did, I, I did that and just sitting there thinking, man, just stewing. I'm going home. We used to have these little, you know, these little calendars you can get and put on your table. We had a Max Lucado calendar that we prayed through things every now and then. Here's, I have to keep it in cardboard because it's getting so old now. This piece of paper 
for a little while got my attention. Because I want you to think about all I just said. And now listen to this. This was the National Day of Prayer, May, of 19, May, May 2nd, on a Thursday, 1996. Father in heaven, hear our praise. Ha. I was not praising God at the time. Holy Father, we are thankful that we have more than enough clothes to wear, thankful that we have places to sleep and that we don't go to bed hungry. We're also thankful that even if all of this were taken away from us, we'd still have, we would still have our hope of eternity. You have been gracious to us. Temporarily, that got my attention, all right? I got a little renewed vigor and started getting back into the language thing, started trying to do better in my relationships and trying to serve Shannon in a way that she deserved and, and, and all of these things. And then, again, the cycle came back. I was getting tired of all this stuff. We decided to go on a vacation. Had a little resort area down. When I say resort area, it's not like these resorts area you see here. It's just like a bunch of little huts off on the beach out there. And we went to this resort area, and the fir that first morning, I thought, man, we are in paradise. Because as we're walking around, I heard people saying, good morning. And I'm going, good morning. I'm speaking English. There's people here. And I'm going, morning, good morning. And we're sitting down, and all of a sudden, we're sitting down at breakfast. And, you know, Caleb is looking at the monkey in the tree above us that's trying to figure out how to get to our table and eat our food. And, 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 and all of a sudden, I realized they're not saying good morning around me. They're saying guten morgen. The Germans, this is a German resort we're at. And I just plummet. I just, oh. I'm drying up. We get to Morocco, and not long after that, we go through six months in Senegal. We get to Morocco not long after that, and I start going to have the same feelings when, it, when, when we're in Rabat going through language learning, learning there, and I think, man, if we can just get to Fez, which is a city we're supposed to be, things will be better. I kept saying, man, if we can get from Dakar to the resort area, things are going to be better. It didn't. I kept thinking, if we can get from Dakar, Senegal to Morocco, things are going to get better, and it didn't. I kept thinking, well, maybe if I just get from Rabat to Fez, things will get better, and it never did. And it wasn't long after we got to Fez that I ended up in Spain on the southern tip of Spain there on the beach looking across at Morocco and just saying, God, I don't care about those people over there. I was in a bad place, and it wasn't nobody's fault but my own. Because I kept ignoring the fact that I was not, I loved God, but I was not willing to submit wholly to what he wanted me to do in every area of my life. I, even at that time, I said this, God, I will go, and you've, many of you have heard me say this, I will go anywhere you want me to go except Africa. And I will do anything you want me to do except be a pastor. And I was serious. I did not want to be a pastor, and I did not want to go to Africa. And that was my heart. I was not willing to totally surrender my whole life to him to do whatever he wanted me to do, wherever he wanted me to do it, whenever he wanted me to do it. And because I was holding on to those things, the enemy was using them in opportune places to build walls between me and my wife, me and the people that I was trying to serve, me and the colleagues I was working with. 
It wasn't until I got to a place, and I can remember it vividly, there was a time I, I kept making, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to decide to do better, and I would try to do better, and it just, there was a time I was sitting in an office at the church in Fez, the international church there in Fez, and, and I was just begging God. I was at a place, I was in desperation because I knew I was in a bad place. And I just cried out to God, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will, if you will show me how to love these people, I will love these people. And I'm telling you, there was something that happened in that morning when I was willing to surrender everything that I am, when I was willing to give it all up to do whatever it is, wherever it was, however he wanted me to do it. When I got to that point, people saw a difference in me. My countenance changed. I remember when I came in the house that day, and Shannon said, are you all right? Because I was different. And people would ask me as I sat down and had, Rob Waller was a guy that I sat down and spoke with a lot. He was my accountability guy. And he says, man, did something happen over the weekend? Now, that doesn't mean I've had, I haven't had bumps in the roads. I'll, you know, we're, 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 we're human. We're going to make mistakes. But this idea that I was willing to go, I really needed to surrender all of that to him. The consequences of those things, those deep-seated, personal, selfish, self-centered things in my life that I needed American things, that I needed American comforts, that I needed to do things my way, those were causing problems not only for me, but for my wife, for my children, for my colleagues, for everyone I interacted, for the people I was there to love and serve. It was causing all sorts of problems. Thankful that God has totally transformed my way of thinking, but it took me having to just lay myself at his feet like a living sacrifice and just say, whatever, whenever, wherever. And that gets to our third point here. From the cause of the storm, we know that was Jonah. The consequences of his disobedience can not only affect us, but others. But the cure of that is that we turn our attention to him. Look at what the sailors do here in verse 14. Then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord. Listen, they're not praying to their gods anymore, I hear. They're not, they know this is the God of Jonah. And they're not going to their multiple gods out there anymore. All right? They are here looking at this. They're saying, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. They recognize that God is up to something. God is doing what he wants to do with this storm, whatever that might be. Jonah still hasn't gotten to a place where he's willing to submit and fully obey God and what he's calling him. And Jonah has said, just throw me overboard. They're saying, do not let us perish and do not hold his blood against us. And they pick him up and throw him overboard. And immediately the seas calm. These guys, as soon as they did what God wanted them to do, their problems, as far as the storm, were over. They weren't experiencing that. Now they still had some problems. They got some debt running with the throwing the cargo overboard. Just, consequences just don't go away when everything's solved. There's some things that last a little while longer. There's still some things that need to be worked on, built on, worked, dealt with, all of those things. But these guys, the immediate threat to their life in this ship was over when they decided that they were going to do what God would ra rather that would want them to do. They tossed him overboard, and the storm immediately stopped. 
And look at what it says in verse 16. This is, this is good. It says, these, the men feared the Lord greatly. In the midst of that storm, they were crazy afraid. When the ship was about to break up and they were tossing stuff overboard and they're trying to figure out what to do, they were greatly afraid. But here it says, as soon as everything stopped, wow, now they feared the Lord greatly. It's, it's, it's kind of like when Jesus was asleep in the boat with the, guy, with the disciples and, and you know, they, they were out there and the guys woke him up. Are, why are you asleep? Don't, aren't, you, aren't, aren't you concerned about us? And he says, why are you afraid? He speaks and the storm stops and then it says, and then it says this. Uh, in Mark chapter 4, they became very much afraid. Because that storm, yeah, that storm scared them. The situation they were in in that boat and the storm out there, and that scared them all. But as soon as they realized they were standing in the presence of someone who could calm that, who could control nature like that, they were very much afraid. And that's what these sailors were experiencing at the time. As soon as they tossed Jonah overboard, and that came, they went, oh, wow. What is this? And look at what it says they did here. It says that, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This, this, when, when they use this word vow, this is just not some typical, you know, pinky swear. This is, this is more than that. This is, this is like a marriage vow when two people, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, all of that. This is like a marriage vow. They are making vows to God. We don't know exactly what they were doing, but it sounds like as they were sacrificing to the Lord and they were making vows to the Lord, that they were committing themselves to the Lord. We don't know that, but that's what that looks like. That they, this whole thing, man, Jonah did not orchestrate this. God orchestrated all this, but he turned it into a situation where these people realized this is God, creator of heaven and earth creator of the sea and the dry land and the power that he performed there got their attention to the point where they turned their attention to him and it wasn't they prayed to all their gods thinking all their gods it was only to him the cure for this wrath that God is pouring out on them is solely they have we have to turn their attention to him and what he wants us to do and, we have, to, and we, we have to do the same thing. I came to a place where I just, in order for me to get over all of this angst and all of this anxiety and problems and things that I was dealing with for those first few years, and those, especially those first couple of years overseas, the thing that got me over that was that day when I just said, God, whatever, whenever, however, I don't care. I'm willing to just pour me out, mold me, do whatever you need to do. Break me, do whatever you need to do. But I'm willing and God made in such, did, did it in such a way that I fell in love with the people that I hated just the weeks earlier. I fell in love with these people. They were still doing the same things that made me angry, but God changed my heart because I was willing to let him do anything he wanted in my life at that time and what he called me to do. The last thing here is now Jonah, he's at a crossroads. It says here in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah's problems still aren't resolved. Jonah's still got some issues to deal with. We're going to see how that plays out in the next week or two to come, but Jonah, 
Still got some stuff that God wants to get right in his life that Jonah needs to surrender, and he's not there yet. But even when Jonah was ready to give up and, and just throw him, have himself thrown over the boat and possibly die out there in the sea, here God is providing and a means, maybe not the best way of doing it, but a means of getting his attention. I don't know what that was like. I don't know what kind of fish that was. I don't know what, I don't even know how that is even possible. But that's what it says here. What is it, is there anything that God is calling you to do that you just keep putting off in your life? Just your daily disciplines or whatever, however you walk with God, do you, do you just put God on a, you know, on the side as you go to work and you don't use that as opportunities to show grace and mercy to people around you as you go to work or in the neighborhood or in the marketplace? Is it the daily dis just learning what it is that God wants us to do? Are we, are we willing to know what it is that God wants us to do? I've, I have found in a lot of people that they love God, they love the, the fact that he sent Jesus and died on the cross and gives us eternal life and all that, but when it comes to some of these other things, these other areas in our life that he might call us to do, oh no, I don't know about that. One of the ways I usually typically find out about that is especially as I, as I sit down and talk with parents and say, listen, are you raising your children to obey God? Absolutely. Even if they call them to go to a place like Iran and tell them about Jesus. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Think about it. God here is calling Jonah to go to a place that is, at that time especially, was worse than Iran has been. God does that. Are we willing to raise our children to be open to the idea that what God calls us to do something, are we willing to let them go do it? Because I tell you, I've been in situations where I've seen parents who are taking their children to hard places and grandparents are suing so they don't take their grandchildren. I've seen, I've heard of, seen and heard about husband and wife that spend years fighting and arguing over whether they're going to go to this place. They both say, God wants us to go here. One says, absolutely. The other says, I don't know about that. And it turns into problems for the marriage. Again, are we willing to do what? That was an extreme when I when I gave when I gave when I gave. There's a, gave, there's a lot, lot of stuff in the middle there from praying your Bible and praying and not forsaking the gathering of believers and all. There's a lot of stuff between that and are you willing to go anywhere in the world to be Jesus to a people that's never heard him, of him? There's a lot of stuff in the middle there. Man, my challenge is this. As we go through this week, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend this week spending at least a couple of times reading the prayer that Jonah has in the next chapter that we're going to look at next week. Read that prayer in Jonah 2. And just ponder that prayer. Look where his condition and what, he's, what, what you think he might be going through and all that. Just, just look at that prayer. And see if there's something within that that God speaks to you about this week. But my, my encouragement to anyone that I come across, pastors that I work with all across the, from Bloomington to Danville, when I meet with this past week, I met with two guys going through two totally different things, just asking the question, are you willing to do the hard thing in order to be Christ in this community? They're having to deal with, wrestle with some, are you willing to take that chance to be Christ in that? They are, but it's hard to lead a church that's unwilling to do that.
And that's kind of what they're wrestling with. That's kind of what they're dealing with. Are you willing to do that, to lead that church? Because some guys, I'll tell you this, some pastors say, you know, it's so hard. I don't know. They might, they might fire me. I might be out of a job if I push too hard. It's a real problem to deal with. But are we going to obey what God wants us to do? Or are we going to be concerned about things of man? And so that's the challenge I want this week. I want you to bow your heads and just close your eyes. We're going to just take some time to reflect on this this morning. You know, just be quiet and think about some of the things that we talked about. Man, you know, God just doesn't want... He sent a storm, and because it didn't get their attention, it was like a greater storm. And because they were working against him, it was even a greater storm. He was building up the storm to try to get their attention. I believe in the same way that God, as we fully surrender and obey and recognize things in our life, that I do believe that God blesses. It might not be the way we want. It's not going to be, well, if I do this, you know, I'm having a hard time financially, God. If I do this, you're going to put a little extra cash in my bank account? That might not happen. More than likely, it won't happen. But what is it? You feel like God has either has been, you, you, you know that there's something that God has been wanting you to do. You know, without a doubt, you've been putting it off forever. You know. Father, we just humbly bow down before you with who we are and what we have. We want to lay it all before you. And Father, I pray that you would just open up those closets that we tend to kind of store stuff in that we don't want people to see or raise up that rug that we tend to sweep things other so that we don't have to look at it anymore. Help us to shine, just shine your light into those dark corners in our life to reveal the things that we are holding on to that keep us from fully obeying you and experiencing all that you have for us. We thank you, Father, for pursuing us and for calling us to yourself. Help us, dear God, to walk in a way that is worthy of that love and all that you have done in our life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.